Well, guys, I'm really excited to be up here this morning. Um, you know, I'm excited that we have power and sound, that we have air conditioning. It's a lot cooler in here. I was drinking a lot of water in anticipation of yelling at all of you this morning. Um, so I'm really glad that I don't have to do that. Um, and I can just say on behalf of myself and, and my wife, Melinda, and then Alex and Mela, who uh, help us lead the youth, we're just, we are so grateful, and we, we really feel like it's an honor and a privilege to serve in the youth of this church. And, I mean, one of the things that we love so much about our, the ministry, which is Catalyst Ministry, is that it's a youth parent ministry. It's not just about the youth. Um, and we get to see God building into the parents and building into the young people and then just really building them into each other. Um, and, and we just love that, guys. We really do. Uh, and it's fun sometimes. I mean, we do a lot of icebreakers at, at youth, and so we get to see, for instance, um, where'd Corey go? Corey, you know, last, I think it was last month, Corey was bunny hopping across the cafeteria during a, a relay race. Yeah. A few months ago, Rafael Gavilan dropping the, the what was it, the, that chocolate pudding. Is that like 30 seconds or less, Rafa? <laughs> it was good. It was, it's very exciting. So we have a lot of fun, and um, we're just really excited to see what God has got next for the youth and next for Catalyst. Um, and just to see what glorious deeds that he wants to do with the young people in this church and with their parents. And so our text this morning is from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. And um, while you're turning in your Bibles to Psalm 78, I'd like Amber to go ahead and come up. And I asked Amber um, to share with us a poem that she wrote about this topic this morning, which is Tell the Coming Generation the Glorious Deeds of the Lord. And one of the things that I love so much about being involved with the youth and being involved with Catalyst is seeing the passion and the zeal that the young people in this church have for the Lord. And I hope that as you hear Amber's poem this morning that you're going to catch her passion and catch her zeal and catch the fire that she has for, for God and what he's done. So, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, this is a piece I wrote, and it's called Blank. Um, uh, all glory goes to, the, to God. His name was Blank. From the time he was young until he became of age, the word of God was ingrained in his brain. From Genesis to Revelation, he knew the stories of old, but there was just one problem. His heart was still cold as stone. Most were blind to this, even him, as the mask to hide the sin slowly became skin. It doesn't matter what he was hiding, sin is still sin and is forever binding. The drugs, sex, deceit, and anger all did their part to pierce his heart like a dagger until the poison spread and his heart grew hard. His spirit became dead and his flesh charred. He can't feel the flames beginning to lick at his soul, a smile so wide but eyes so dull. So what are we missing here? If he knew God's word like the back of his hand. What he's missing is someone like you to step away from your soapbox and take a moment to understand. His name is blank so you can fill in one of your own. Your son or daughter or that neighbor that takes refuge in your home. Have you told him what happens when he runs with the wrong crowd? Have you told her what happens when she and that guy just start messing around? I don't mean to repeat what they tell them in school, just play it safe and don't act the fool, no. I mean you have to tell them your sin story, starting with what makes you, you, mentally, emotionally, physically. 
how you thought, how you laughed, how you cried, how you spoke, how you walked, how you acted, how you dressed, all the way up to how you looked in the mirror and couldn't even recognize the reflection staring back at you. Because little by little, you too let the mask cover your sin and become one with your skin. Why won't you tell them? What are you so afraid of? Whatever it is, I can tell you right now, I know this guy who's bigger than anything that's screaming out loud. His name is God, and not only does he have a special plan for your life, but he has a special plan for that person you're thinking of too. How, don't we always wish for the privilege of walk, watching God do great miracles? How will you see them if you don't let him use you? Let him use not just your sin, but also your redemption. Don't hide these things from the next generation, but of his wondrous deeds, make a proclamation. Don't just tell them how their story could be happy if they would just listen. Tell them how your story went, because you know how it ends. Thank you. That was awesome, Amber. Thank you so much. That was great. Don't hide these things from the next generation, but of his wondrous deeds, make a proclamation. Well, guys, that's what we're talking about this morning, making that proclamation of his wondrous deeds. Church, we know how the story ends. Like Amber said, we know how it ends, that Christ died to redeem us and set us free from our bondage to sin and our bondage to death, that we might worship him with our lives. And we're going to do that together. We're going to make a proclamation of his wondrous deeds. We're going to talk about what he has done for us. So before we get into that, let's, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you that we can come this morning and hear your words spoken to us. Thank you that we can approach you this morning with confidence, without fear of rejection or of your wrath, for the love that you poured out to us on Jesus, from Jesus, Lord. God, I ask that this morning your spirit would be here with us, it would be tangible and present, that as I open my mouth, God, that you would use your words to open hearts and minds to receive what you have for them this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our text this morning is Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. So let's go ahead and put it up there. All right. Psalm 78, it goes like this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and, ju- and rebellious generation. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse, didn't I? And arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Well, verse 4 says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation. And I wanted to start by asking you guys a question this morning. What are, 
What are some of the things that maybe you hide from your children? Or if you don't have kids, maybe if you have roommates, your roommates, your brothers and sisters. Or if you've got those kind of friends, things that you hide from your friends before they come over, because, you know, I don't know what kind of friends you have. Maybe they take your stuff. Well, I wanted to share with you morning, this morning some of the things that we have to hide from our kids. Um, you guys know I have a two-year-old daughter, Mary Jane, and she's gotten into this thing where she likes to get her purses, and she puts whatever she finds around the house, she likes to stuff into her purse. Well, this is her latest purse. It's actually a car's lunchbox, and um, she loves this thing. She carries it around everywhere. And I wanted to show you a couple of things this week that I pulled out of this lunchbox that now I have to hide from her and keep it up high, um, out, of, out of reach. So let me just start with one thing here. I found this. It's a can of pink spray paint. I'm not sure how she got to it, and I'm not sure what she was planning on doing with it, but, but we, we now keep our spray paint high up in the cabinets. Just glad I got to it before she made use of whatever it was she was planning on doing with that. Um, you know, we find, you know, jewelry, watches, um, you know, electronic devices and stuff like that, you know. Uh, she's also in this phase now where she's stuffing things in the toilet, so. She did something, she put something in there the other day and said, Daddy, you know, Elmo went poo-poo in the potty. And then I don't know what she put in there, it was gone. So we might be looking for a watch at some point. I even find Melinda's wedding ring was in here this week. That was a little scary. Um, let's see what else we got. You know, cell phones. We got, okay, this was one. We got keys, all right? So last week we're getting ready for church, right? And we're scrambling around looking for the keys to the van. It took us about 20 minutes to figure out she'd stuffed it in one of her bags and she'd hidden it in one part of her room. So now the keys have to be up high out of reach and out of sight from our daughter. So you can imagine there are a lot of things that we hide from our kids, right? Um, some of them for very good reason, like the spray paint here. There are some things that we hide for their sake or because we don't want them to go missing. Um, there are also things that we hide because, um, well, maybe to protect your own reputation, right? Maybe if you have your friends coming over, you put your dirty laundry away out of sight or you have a journal that you stash away somewhere safe and private. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your past that you prefer to keep hidden. Um, mistakes and failures that you've made or in the past or even in the present that you prefer other people, other people don't see. Or maybe it's your faith. You prefer that... You keep that to yourself and that people don't know about it. I think for all of us, there are parts of our lives that we prefer to keep hidden, we prefer to keep out of sight. But the psalmist this morning says that we will not hide something. There's something here that he says we will not hide them from our children, but tell the coming generation. And that's the glorious deeds of the Lord. See, these glorious deeds are something that the psalmist, he doesn't just say, I prefer if we just, they just not see it. He says, we will not hide them. He's committed that we will not hide these from the coming generation, but we will tell them. He's committed to it. And before we get into talking about those glorious deeds that he's committed to not hiding, I want to talk about who it is that we're to be telling and who it is that's to be doing this telling. So let's start at the beginning. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He says, Give ear, O my people, not give ear, O parents. He doesn't say give ear, O parents of young children. He says, Give ear, Oh, my people. He's talking to all of us this morning. This is not just for parents. He goes on in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4. He says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation. Who is the their children? He doesn't say, We'll not hide them from my children or from our children. He says, Their children. Well, if we look one verse prior, it says in verse 3, Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We'll not hide them from their children, from our father's children. That's kind of strange, right? Well, He's talking about our fathers. He's talking about the descendants of our forefathers. This is not just for people who have kids, guys. It's not just, if you have kids, it's not just about your kids. 
There's the next generation that he wants us to tell. He wants all of us to tell them. And it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, whether you have kids yourself or you don't. He's calling all of us this morning to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Let's take a look at verse 6. It says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope. Guys, youth, young people, if you're sitting here this morning thinking, great, we've got to preach about thy parents. Maybe we can set them straight. They'll stop getting so hard on me and tell me that I can't do all the things that I want to do. Well, I hate to disappoint you this morning, but that's not what I'm going to be doing. So you can chill out, parents. All right. Um, look, just because you yourself are the coming generation, it doesn't mean that you don't have also responsibility to tell the coming generation. In fact, as a young person yourself, you have a unique position and there's a unique call that the Lord has for you. You're a unique mouthpiece to the coming generation. And so the next generation are to continue telling. They're to tell those that come after them. They're to tell those that are with them. To tell the coming generation. It's for all of us to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. So wherever you are this morning, wherever you find yourself, whatever season of life, I want you to focus in, like the psalmist said, give ear to his teaching, to incline your ears this morning. We do that? All right, so let's get into the what. The what. What is it? What is this glorious deeds that the psalmist is talking about? Verse 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He says, I will utter dark sayings from of old. When I first read this, I was thinking, dark sayings? What does that have to do with, with glorious deeds? I mean, dark sayings isn't exactly the kind of thing that I want to make sure, man, I've got to tell these dark sayings to the coming generation. You know, hey, kids, gather around. It's bedtime. Let's pull out our storybook of dark sayings. You know, listen closely. But the psalmist this morning is, is talking about dark sayings. Well, I think the dark sayings that he's talking about today aren't dark as in evil sayings or scary sayings, but obscure and hidden, that they're, they're difficult. They're, they're difficult to see or to understand. The NIV actually translates this verse as, I will utter hidden things, things from of old. It's something that needs explanation. It can be a little confusing. It doesn't quite connect. You're not sure how it connects. And I want to talk about what is this dark saying that the psalmist is referring to, because the majority of this chapter, verses actually 9 through 72, so most of this chapter is this dark saying that he's talking about. And this dark saying is the story of Israel and their relationship with their God. And just briefly, I'll say that this story, it's the story of God providing for Israel. I mean, he did all kinds of glorious deeds for them and providing them and parting the Red Sea and sending manna to them. So it's God's provision, then Israel's rebellion against him and their unbelief, then God's anger and wrath towards them for their unbelief, and then finally, God's compassion and his mercy poured out on Israel. So it's Israel screwing up and blowing it royally, and then God just showing mercy and compassion on them, and it repeats itself over and over in those 60-some verses at the end of this chapter. It's just over and over. Israel blowing it, not believing God. God getting angry and then having mercy on them. And see, the reason that the psalmist wants us to remember this parable this morning, not forget these dark sayings, but tell it to our children, is to illustrate and to bring to life these glorious deeds that we're talking about, these glorious deeds that he wants us to tell the coming generation. He says, we will not hide them from our children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. See, this parable that we just read, it's not particularly flattering to Israel. It doesn't speak very well of them. And I imagine that if you were to come up here this morning and tell us your story, the story of your life, or, or maybe the story of your parenting, 
it probably wouldn't be terribly flattering of you either. And the purpose of telling the story isn't just to denigrate those fathers of Israel, the, the ancestors of Israel. There's something greater here that the psalmist wants to accomplish. And the same thing with your story. It may be dark and have some confusing stories and confusing parts. And it may be difficult sometimes to see how your story fits into these glorious deeds of the Lord and, and the glory of God and what he's doing. But just like with Israel, he wants to use your story, however confusing it may be, however dark at times it may seem, to show his glory. And just like Israel, our legacy, like Israel's legacy, it's not the story of our greatness. It's the story of God's faithfulness to us. It's the story of God's faithfulness, not our greatness. And so our lives and our speech, they should reflect this truth. So certainly the glorious deeds that the psalmist is referring to, it, it is all those cool miracles, you know, throwing food down at them from heaven when they're hungry and parting the Red Sea and stuff, but, but it's so much bigger. There's a greater deliverance and a redemption that the, that's being played out in this story, this psalm of, these, of Israel. It's a story of the redemption of God's people. It's a story of God saving them from the wrath that they deserve and drawing them near to himself. And really, guys, this is our story. It's a story of God's provision for us, our rebellion and stubbornness towards God, and then God's wrath and his compassion and finally his mercy towards us. And this points forward to Christ's life, Christ's death, and his resurrection. God, guys, God has been so generous, exceedingly generous to us. And like Israel, in our rebellion and our stubborn pride, we've forsaken God and his law. And he showed his mercy to us by sending Christ to live and to die for us as a penalty, as a payment for our sin and our rebellion, to save us from the wrath that we deserve. Guys, there's no more glorious deed than this, than this story about Christ for us to tell. No mightier work for us to wonder at this morning. And if you're looking to apply this psalm, if you're looking for a glorious deed to tell the coming generation, this is it, guys. This is it. This is what we will not hide from the coming generation, but we will tell them how we crucified Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for you and for me and for all of our sins, how we conquered sin and death and ascended into heaven in the most glorious display of power this earth has ever seen. Church, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. But we look and we see that the psalmist isn't done here because he goes on. There are more glorious deeds that he has for us to tell this morning than just this. You can believe that. Let's take a look at verse 5. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. So there's a testimony he established in Jacob and a law that he gave to Israel. Well, this testimony and this law, they're really synonymous. And together they point to God's deliverance of his people and all that he required of them in light of that deliverance. See, after God set Israel free from slavery in Egypt, they were now free to worship their God. They, were, they weren't under Egyptian rule anymore and they could worship God freely. And the law came, this law and this testimony in Jacob came to, to give Israel a framework to show them how they can worship God and how God requires them to worship him. And so, in the context of ancient Israel, this psalmist, he saw this law not as a burden, but as a gift from God, as one of the glorious deeds that the Lord has done for him. It established how they could worship God and, and their framework for their relationship with him. And certainly that worship included reading his word and praying and fasting and offering sacrifices in the temple. But it was a lot more than that for Israel. You see, this worship, it permeated every part of their lives, every piece of their being, and it set them apart as a distinct and a holy people. This law, it taught them how to eat, how to dress, told them how to cut their hair. 
what they could touch and when they could touch it, and what they couldn't touch and when they couldn't touch it. And for the psalmist, this law represented a freedom for Israel to worship God as he called them to with every aspect of their lives and obey him with, with every part of their life. And church, the same is true for us today. Not about the law, but about Christ's sacrifice. That we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Free to worship God as He commanded us with all of our lives, with every part of it. And just like Israel, this worship, this worship with all of our lives should set us apart as a holy people, a people who are distinct and discernible from the world around us. See, what the psalmist is concerned about this morning is that the next generation not forget that they've been delivered from a bondage of slavery. And that we're free and that they, the next generation, are free to worship God with their whole lives as distinct and holy people set apart for the Lord. And so young people, youth, this morning, this is, this is my heart for you. That you would live as a person who is distinct. A person who has been redeemed by the love of Christ, by the blood of Christ. So I ask you this morning, are you living that way? Does that describe your life? Are you set apart and distinct from those that are around you? Or are you more concerned about fitting in? And maybe you'll say to me, look, David, you know, I'm not hiding anything from them. Look, if my friends ask me, I'll tell them. I, I love, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'm hiding it. But notice that the psalmist this morning, he doesn't just say, we will not hide them from the coming generation. He says, also, we will tell them. It's more than just not hiding, just being willing to say it if somebody presses you and asks you. Yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Youth, what are you telling those that are around you? What do you talk about after church, after Catalyst? If you go to school in between classes, if you have a job, what do you talk about on your breaks at work? Are your conversations, are your jokes, the things that you say that you want to talk about, are they any different from the friends around you that don't know Christ, that's never experienced his love and his power and his mighty deeds? Guys, telling the coming generation, being set apart for Christ means changing the conversation. It means being willing to look like the one being willing to be the one that looks like an idiot, right? And, and says that spiritual question, everybody laughs, or it kind of looks the other way. And guys, I can tell you that when you live this way, when you live as a person who's set apart, when you're living a life that's distinct, and you speak about Christ to those around you, and you're able to see His power work through you in the lives of your friends, guys, there's nothing more thrilling than that. It's exciting to see God work through you and His power to work in you. And the reason this is important, young people, is because there really are, there are no second generation Christians. And you may think that your friends all know about the gospel, but there's no reason to assume that just because someone has grown up in this church, just because they've sat here and they've listened to preaching their whole life, they've listened to the gospel, it doesn't mean they've ever actually heard it, that they've actually understood it, or applied it, or received it. You might be surprised to find out that some of the friends that you hang out with every day, some of the friends that you go to church with, or go to Catalyst with, it look like they have it all together, like they have it all figured out, that they don't. And that in reality, they're really not running towards Christ, but they're running headlong into hell. And you can tell yourself, I'm not hiding it from them. They know the gospel. They've heard it. What am I going to tell them they don't know? But the psalmist doesn't say, just don't hide it. He says, tell them. Tell the coming generation. Are you telling them? Guys, this is your responsibility, young people. It's your privilege to tell them and to show them what Christ has done for you through your faith and your hope, to show Him the power that He will work through you, that He is working through you, and all your imperfections, with all your sin, with everything that's issues that you've got going on in your life, God wants to use you to communicate, to show to the coming generation, to your peers, to the people that come after you, what Christ has done, and His power, and His glorious deeds. 
Whose legacy are you living for? Is it a legacy to live for your own greatness, to leave a legacy of your own greatness, for your own popularity, your own coolness? Or are you living to leave a legacy of God's faithfulness? So now that we know what it is that God is calling us this morning to tell to the coming generation, the next question is why? Why are we to tell this? What is it that's so important about telling the glorious deeds of the Lord to the coming generation? Well, verse 7 says, So they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. See, the point of telling His glorious deeds to the coming generation is that they would set their hope in God, that they would remember what He's done and they would keep His commandments. And so I ask you this morning, where is your hope? Is your hope in God? Are you trusting in Him this morning for your job, for your finances, your health, or maybe, maybe it's your relationships, your reputation? Church, this morning, let's remember, let's remember the works of God. Let's allow that to root our hope firmly in Christ and firmly in Him and what He has done. For Israel, this seemed to be kind of a chronic problem. They had a, a big issue with this, putting their hope in God and remembering what he had done. And you have to turn there, but we read in verse 29 to 31 that after God had just finished you know, raining down all this food and manna and you know, making birds fall out of the sky for them, it says this, it says that, and they ate and they were well filled, and he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose up against them. Israel hadn't even finished chewing and they were already upsetting God. They're already ticking him off. I mean, it, it's their complaining, their discontent hearts that really just got under his skin. I mean, really, it angered God. And for good reason. Guys, our speech, the things that we say, they proclaim not just to ourselves, but to everyone around us where our hope is. And we can see that Israel's hope clearly was not in God. They were constantly complaining and doubting that he would provide for them even after everything that he had done, everything that he had accomplished on their behalf. And church, I, I often find that I'm just like those Israelites. And maybe you feel the same way, that often I'm, I find myself still chewing on the food that God has provided me and already I'm great, complaining and grumbling against him and doubting that he's going to continue to provide for me. See, we're so quick, aren't we, to forget God's provision and so quick to complain when we don't get what we want. Whether that's a child that's disobedient or a coworker, or a boss who's just getting under your skin or maybe, maybe it's the finances. They're not quite what you hoped they would be. Or maybe it's Sunday morning you just can't seem to get out of the house on time. We're so quick to complain about those things and forget what Christ has done for us, what God has given to us. And when we do that, guys, when we complain in this way, we're forgetting, functionally forgetting what what the Bible tells us in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, we are a people who have been richly blessed both physically and spiritually. I mean, look, we have lights, we have sound, we have air conditioning. We have food in our fridges at home. Not to mention the spiritual blessings that God has poured out upon us. And my prayer for us is that we be a people who are marked by gratitude and thankfulness. Not faithlessness and stubbornness like the Israelites. Guys, if you want your children to hope in God, then demonstrate that hope for them with a grateful heart. Show them your hope 
that you have and the way that you talk about your circumstances, the way you talk about finances and money, the way you talk about your health. Show them in the way that you pray. Share with them when God provides for you financially or with your health or especially when he makes a change and he works in your heart. Guys, I'm not just talking about posting these things on Facebook so your kids can go check it. I'm talking about taking time to sit down and explain to them the glorious deeds of the Lord and showing them how this glorious thing that God has done for us, this money that we received, this health that I have now, how this is a glorious deed of the Lord and how we should celebrate this and how good God is for us, good to us. And, and that's why I still loved hearing this morning when Corey shared about Sovereign Grace Church Miami. Guys, this is a church that is bearing amazing fruit in, in Westchester for Christ. I mean, they were ready to shut their doors and close it and, and call it a day because they couldn't pay the bills. And yet God, in his mercy and power, he provided the money that they need, right? He's just, he's just blown them away with how quickly they raised this money. I mean, guys, this was beyond anyone's expectations. And it injected fresh faith and hope into the pastors there, into the people there, into that community in Westchester. Guys, our God is faithful. Or about Sarah Love Crawford. Guys, we heard a couple weeks ago an announcement that the, Cre- the Crawfords are pregnant with baby Crawford number three, or BC3, as Bentley calls him. <laughs> what you may not have heard was that for a few weeks prior to that announcement, Sarah Love was on bed rest. She'd actually found out that she had a, a large blood clot, and that blood clot was growing. She'd had a, a checkup a few weeks before, and it had grown since, since the week earlier. And there was serious concern for the life of their child because of this blood clot. And they had a, a checkup scheduled the next morning. And that night before their checkup, they got a phone call from Lily Diaz, who just had it on their heart to pray for her for healing. and Had her put her hand over the area where the blood clot was, and she prayed over her. When they were done, she asked if she had felt anything, if there was any difference or some warmth. And, and Sarah Love said, yeah, you know, it felt warm. It started to warm in that area. And the next morning, when Slove went to the doctors, the blood clot was gone. It didn't exist anymore. Praise God. God healed her. God healed her and saved the life of her baby. Isn't that amazing, guys? That's, that's what we have to declare. See, we don't just have stories of what God did way in the past with Israel, but we can see him healing and doing wonders today, right now, God. And guys, it doesn't always look glorious when these glorious deeds come around, right? It might be something just as simple as this morning, right? We, we had the power go out and we were looking for, for something to do. We didn't have any chairs. And we went back in the cafeteria. There was like 300 chairs just piled in the corner there. We've never seen them there before. It's like God sending manna from heaven with their chairs, you know, falling into the... It was amazing. And that's what God does for us, church. We don't want to forget that. We don't want to stop and not celebrate what God is doing for us and remembering the works of God. Let us be a church. Let's be a people that remembers the works that God has done and proclaims them both through our lives, through our mouths, and our attitudes. Guys, let's be that kind of church, shall we? Well, there's another warning, one final why that the psalmist has for us this morning. It comes in verse 8. And I think this is definitely part of that difficult saying, this dark saying. It says this, it says, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I think, man, this is really not the kind of legacy that I want to leave behind for myself. Don't be like him. Don't be like that stubborn, rebellious, not steadfast, not faithful guy. Whatever you do, just don't be like him. I mean, maybe that's what the legacy you want to leave, but not me. And church, I I want us 
to remember this morning the works of God because if we don't remember the works of God and put our hope in Him, when all is said and done and it's all over, that's really all there is left to say about us. We can work so hard at leaving a legacy for our own greatness that we neglect to remind ourselves of what God has done, the power of His cross and our real immediate need for us. And in the end, we don't have a story of our greatness at all. All we have is a story of our stubbornness. There may be some of you here this morning who have kids that have grown up and moved out of the house. And when you hear this last verse about the rebellious and stubborn generation, you think to yourself, man, I've screwed up. You look back on your years of parenting, you think you've missed opportunities. You see all the things that you didn't do or you should have done. And I want to speak to you this morning from the Psalms, guys. I want to, I want to tell you that God is not done with you this morning. He's not done with you and he's not done with your kids. And he's not done with the next generation. And I want to share with you a story about my father. And I have his permission to share this. So as I would say, don't look at me so religiously. All right. For those of you who don't know my dad, he's a, he's a very humble man. He's a godly man. I respect him so much. And I mean, even to this day, when I have a need or a problem or I'm wrestling through something, I'll give my dad a call and talk to him. And I'm just looking for his counsel and direction. He's a godly man. But when I was in middle school and high school, I think humble probably wouldn't be the most, the most appropriate adjective for either one of us. I think stubborn would be much more appropriate. And about that time, about middle school and high school years, my dad's job started to become more and more demanding and placing more and more demands on his time. And it started to really become what defined him as a man, defined him in his life. And I remember watching him try to start family devotions from time to time, or even just for him to have just personal devotions in his own life. And then only after one or two tries, he'd just give up. The late nights and the early mornings at the office, he was just tired. And I just, I remember growing discouraged, guys, and just skeptical that God really had the power to change a life. Seeing him struggle, and it was right around the time that I graduated high school and was moving out of town, they lived in Orlando and I was moving down here to Miami, that there's a real messy situation. My dad's job started to fall apart. In the midst of all that, he just, he broke down. He had a nervous breakdown. I remember watching God just break my father. Just broke him and humbled him. And I was living on the other side. I was living half a state away from my family. And even being so far away, I saw a powerful change in my father's life. That's just from conversations on the phone, from coming up and visiting from time to time on a weekend, talking to my brothers and talking to my mom. Guys, God took a man who was, who was proud, who had just a hard time ever admitting that he was wrong, to a man who would now call up his son, who lives halfway around, or halfway, not around the world, halfway across the state to, to ask for counsel. He would call me and ask me, he would share with me what was going on and ask, can you help me see where I'm wrong? My father would never even admit that he was angry. Guys, I saw a powerful change in my father's life. This is a change that I never thought was possible anywhere on this side of eternity. And he didn't either, by the way. It had a massive effect on my life. Not just my life, but the life of my brothers and the life of my mom. I mean, our whole family just rocked our family watching him change. Church, your role in telling the coming generation doesn't end when your kids leave the house. And even if you've made mistakes or you feel like you've missed chances, God isn't done with you. Guys, Christ's love, it covers all of our mistakes and failures. 
He doesn't want just to cover them. He wants to redeem them. He wants to use them to do a mighty work in the life, lives of the coming generation. He wants the coming generation to know not just the failures of their fathers, but the faithfulness of their God. Because this is a God who teaches old dogs new tricks, and he delights in doing that. He's a God who changes our hearts and uses our changing hearts to teach the next generation about the glorious deeds that he's doing, that he's still working, that he's still powerful. So if that's you and you're here this morning, God is not done with you. He's not finished with you. He wants to still use you in the life of your children. Even if you think you've screwed up and your chance is gone, it's not gone and it's not done. And if you're here this morning and you don't have kids, let me tell you, the young people in this church, they don't have to live with you to see the power of God in your life. Guys, look around. The next generation, they're involved everywhere in this church. Not just in the Catalyst ministry, but look at the sound team, look at the setup team, the worship team, kids worship, children's ministry. Take a look in your community group. Guys, they're watching you. They're everywhere. They're all around us. And they're looking to you. They're looking up at you, looking to you, and they're watching you and waiting for you to live a life in front of them, wanting to live a life in front of them that demonstrates the glorious deeds of the Lord and His power and the wonders that He has done. So show them. Show them in the way that you respond when circumstances don't go your way. Show them what true repentance and confession look like. At home, practice the spiritual gifts. Worship and pray at your house where there's no pastor or community group leader around to pat you on the back and say, good job. Maybe you've tried in the past and it hasn't worked up and you get discouraged thinking, I can't, I just can't do it. Guys, don't give up. Please don't give up. For your kids' sake, for your sake, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop telling them. Don't stop telling them of this God that does these mighty works. Don't stop working to live a life that demonstrates the power of the gospel. Guys, my parents, they taught me God's word from when I was young. I'm so grateful for that. They're godly people. They did a wonderful job with us, but I can tell you that the things that most powerfully affected me in their parenting, the times when I was most powerfully affected as a, as a child and even now as an adult, are the times when I was able to watch God change their hearts. When I was able to watch them respond to His Spirit in humility and grow. And that's when I knew that this God, this Jesus that they were talking about, that they told me about, that they professed was real and that I could trust Him. Guys, let your children learn from your mistakes. Let them see God working in you and changing your heart, that they might see a God whose, whose power works through you. They might see his power through your humility. And then young people, youth that are here this morning, wherever you are, it's easier when you're all in one place. Let's learn from our father's mistakes, from the mistakes of our ancestors. See, the final indictment that God had of Israel was that their, not, their hearts were not steadfast and their spirits were not faithful. Guys, God wants your heart to be steadfast. He wants your spirit to be faithful. He's not interested in a life of forced obedience to a bunch of rules. Young people, if all you know about Christianity, if all you know about this Jesus, this God that we're talking about, is a list of rules, and I've got to tell you, you don't know my God. You don't know my Jesus. Let me introduce you to this God that we serve, that I serve. See, my God, he's a generous God. And he's a God who redeems his people. He's a God who saves them from the wrath and the judgment that they deserve. He's a God who sets them free to worship him in every part of their lives and free to enjoy him in everything that they do. If you don't know this God, is this not the God that you're following? I pray this morning that you would quiet yourself, you would quiet your heart, you would listen closely for him. Because he wants you to know him. He wants you to find him sweeter than than anything else that you're giving your life to today. 
And if that's you this morning, before this meeting is over, I want you to go find your parents. Go find one of the pastors and talk with them and pray with them. Young people, put your hope in Jesus. Receive the life that he bought for you with his blood. In church, no matter what season you find yourself in this morning, God is calling you to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So let's set our hope in Christ this morning, shall we? And may our hope, may our hope mark us as a people who are set apart, a people whose legacy is not confined to this tiny little box of our own greatness, but a people whose legacy is rooted in the great history of God's love and his faithfulness to us. Just like Amber said in, his po- in her poem, don't hide these things from the next generation, but of the wondrous, his wondrous deeds, make a proclamation. Let's do that together. Yeah. Zeke, if you want to go ahead and come up, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the work that you did for us on the cross, that you have redeemed us, that you have set us free from bondage to slavery and bondage to sin. God, that we're no longer defined by our mistakes and our failures and the things that we've done in the past that, that we regret, God, but that we can place our hope in you, God. That we're set free to worship you with our words, worship you with our lives, and to trust you that your blood has covered all of our mistakes and failures. Every place that we feel that we've been inadequate, God, we can see your adequacy covering it for us, Lord. Thank you that we have hope this morning, hope in what you have done and who you are. God, thank you that you delight to use imperfect people like us. Tell the story of your great love for us and for those that are around us. God, I pray that we would, we would tell that great story and that this glorious story would give us hope and fresh hope for our kids, fresh hope for our children who are here at home with us or out away at college or off married or doing something else, God. It would give us hope for them. And God, I pray for those who don't have kids, God, that they would be envisioned to preach your word, God, to tell to the next generation, the coming generation, your glorious deeds, even if they're not in their own home, God. And you would give us fresh hope and faith and words to say and ways to say it, God. And you would give our lives, that our lives might speak out loudly what you've done for us. And we find our hearts that would be grateful to you, God. We would have grateful hearts that speak often of what you've done. But we would not hide these things from the coming generation. So God, motivate us this morning. Motivate us and open our mouths and position our lives to tell of your glorious deeds to the coming generation. Well, guys, I just believe that the Lord has for us to sing a song this morning. I want us to sing 10,000 Reasons. And I want us to just think this morning about all the things that God has done. Guys, we have more than 10,000 reasons. Our heart has way more than 10,000 reasons to sing of what he has done. But guys, I want us to bless the Lord this morning and let's challenge our hearts. Let's say to our souls, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Let's do that this morning. Let's challenge ourselves and our hearts to worship his holy name and to bless his holy name. Ah. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, worship team. Uh, it was wonderful to have you up here and leading us this morning. David, thank you, my friend. You have served us so well. That was so edifying. Yes. Church, the church was built once again this morning through the preached word. And through David, I love you. I so respect you, my friend. Well, I just want to re- reiterate as we depart here some of David's words. He was speaking to all of us, no matter how old you are this morning. If you have breath, 
God is not done with you yet. And you have a story to share with the coming generations. I love what he says. God can teach old dogs new tricks. Church, that is called grace. It is grace. Ah, it is so true. May you go with hope this morning in our risen Lord Savior who has redeemed you and given you a story to share with the coming generations. I believe it was Paul Tripp who once said, if we're going to impress God upon the coming generations, we must be impressed with God ourselves. So church, go now impressed with our glorious Savior. Go now and commend His glorious deeds to the generations yet to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.